Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Yasmin Rios-Schultz is an adult-focused speech-language pathologist in private practice located in Austin, Texas. She got a job working in a facility that she loved, and she thought that she would stay there for her entire career, at least until COVID hit. Yasmin joined the Start Your Private Practice program in the fall of 2020, working through the steps in the program at night. She got all of her ducks in a row and started her private practice on the side of her job and gradually worked down to part-time, then let go of her PRN job, and then transitioned into her own private practice full-time. In this episode, she talks about her primary referral source, physicians, and also about starting her private practice while working two jobs with a young child, knowing that she was working toward having a more flexible life, which she now has. She also shared a really cool thing that she did for herself with her private practice earnings. Whether you're adult-focused, pediatric-focused, or both, getting referrals from physicians is a great way to build your practice, and you'll benefit from learning how this has helped Yasmin grow her practice to the point that she's ready to hire. This is a fantastic episode, so stay tuned. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. So before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Yes. So I am Yasmin Rios Schultz and my private practice is Lake Austin Speech Therapy and I'm located in Austin, Texas. I am so excited to have you on the show because I've actually been able to watch you really start your practice and grow it over the past couple of years in the START program. And so what I would love for you to do for our listeners is before you talk about what your private practice is like now, can you take us back to the beginning of your career as an SLP? And talk about that. And then also talk about when did you start thinking about private practice? I'm going to go back a little bit uh, before even being a speech therapist. I started off on a pre-med track when I was at Purdue. That lasted about a semester. And I knew that that was not my destiny. So I spoke with a college counselor who led me into some classes for speech and audiology. 
And right off the bat, I knew that that was going to be my game. So it was an amazing transition um, to still be able to kind of stay in the health realm. Then I also thought I was going to be a bilingual pediatric speech therapist at the very beginning of my studies. And as I started taking graduate school courses at Indiana University, I fell in love with the neuro and adult side of things. So completely did a 180 there. I started off working in a skilled nursing facility in Fort Worth. Uh, That's where I did my CFY. And then eventually my husband and I moved to Austin. And he's a nurse, so we both found jobs relatively easily um, once I had my C's. Worked in a retirement home primarily, eventually working for many years in a really large retirement community that had home health, outpatient, skilled nursing, memory support, assisted living, you name it, all under one roof. Always while at least working one other side gig. So I always worked either kind of a float position at an acute care and inpatient rehab that was attached to one another and then eventually in another inpatient rehab. So I'm a little bit of a workaholic. I, I kind of did a lot of things for uh, quite some time. So, yeah. Well, and I, you know, a lot of people do, right? Like, you know, the reality of needing to make money and, and liking the profession too, right? And so a lot of people do end up working a lot, right? Like we love what we do, right? And sometimes we have to do a little bit extra of it also in order to make that extra money, right? So I loved hearing about your journey. So at what point did you start thinking, you know what? I wonder if maybe private practice is my next step. Well, COVID really changed things for me, as it did so many other people. So working in a retirement community during a pandemic, you know, in full PPE and 95 face shield, the whole nine yards, you know, definitely was a large part in that shift for me. At the same time, we at the time were working in-house, so working for the retirement community. And this place was a unicorn. I thought I would stay there until the end of my career and retire from there. They eventually switched us out for a contract rehab company. So right in the middle of COVID, kind of everything, the walls were kind of crashing down and the contract rehab company kind of was offering a take it or leave it. Um, Every therapist was offered a 5 to 25% pay cut to stick with them. No 401k match. And uh, the idea of never seeing another penny raise, basically. So not only a pay cut, but then knowing that you were at the ceiling, you know, if you continued to work for that company. So that was really the final straw and really got me thinking about what else can I do to not work for, you know, an entity like this anymore and be able to grow, you know, in my profession. So that happened to me actually once I was working at a skilled nursing facility and the same thing happened. The hospital sold the skilled nursing facility. Another company came on the same thing, pay cut, and whatever else. And they were going to, you know, my productivity requirement was going to go through the roof, but like not the whole thing was terrible. So I also left. But I think that those kind of situations where you all of a sudden don't have control over your finances, right? Like there's just no way to earn more, right? That does often put people in a situation where they're like, okay, that's, I can't do that, right? Like I have a life, I have a family, I have whatever else. I got to do something, right? And private practice is one of those somethings that people think about. So, okay, your back's against the wall. This this situation has happened. What happened next? So I actually talked to a good friend of mine here in Austin who has her own private practice, Emily Cohen. I think maybe she's been on your show in the past. So she was really the only person that I knew, you know, had kind of started from the ground up. I didn't really know how she got to that point, but started talking to her about, you know, how does she get started? Um, She mentioned your Facebook group. You know, I started to kind of follow along and whatnot and um, eventually purchased the course in the fall of 2020 and started taking the steps to forming my private practice. So 
that was kind of the uh, catalyst. I love that. You were part of a, a pretty big surge of people who joined around that time, right? There was a lot of people who joined right at the beginning of the pandemic, but there was a lot more who joined that fall, right? Who had been through a couple of months in really terrible situations in schools and in hospitals and in everywhere, basically. And we're like, you know what? I've got to figure out how to do this thing, right? And so that was a pretty big group of people who joined. And it was it's been really cool to see that group, you know, go from, oh my goodness, I need to do this to actually having a practice. So after you join, what would you say that your experience was in terms of like getting up and going? Yeah. So for me, it was kind of a slow growing process. I still, you know, was working full time. I was staying up pretty darn late doing some of the coursework. And I did that for quite some time, just trying to figure out, number one, how do I manage this balance of working full time, you know, having a husband and a son and other, you know, time commitments. And then really my only time I had to kind of put that work together was in the late evenings. And so I would spend many a late night, you know, doing some of that coursework and kind of ticking away at it. Also still maintaining a PRN job. I mean, people called me crazy for trying to do all this at one point. But yeah, it took me several months for me to gain my first client and get credentialed with Medicare. I think finally by the third time, you know, I was able to do that. It was quite the hefty process. And that same client has turned into a long-term, you know, cognitive wellness uh, client of mine. So um, that I'm still seeing today. So yeah, um, over the next four to six months, slowly, I started to acquire more clients and, um, trickle, you know, they were kind of trickling in and mostly Medicare clients. So when I love that you found time for the course, even though you were busy, right? And I think that that's one of the things is that, you know, a lot of people say, you know, oh, I'd really like to do this, but I don't have time, right? And so one of the things that can happen is that you like when you when you start something new, like a private practice, that can result in a busy season of life. Right. And so that's just kind of something that people need to know, like and do it so that you can have more time and flexibility later. Right. And so, yes, that's one of the the important things for our listeners to know is that, yeah, when you start your practice, it's going to be busy. Like you're going to be like working and probably doing this on the side. But the goal is for you to have more balance and less busyness as soon as possible, right? So, and it is very common uh, also, unfortunately, for Medicare applications to take a little while, right? Sometimes it does take yeah. a couple of tries to to get that. But once once you got it, then you got it, right? So how yeah, did you exactly how would you say you got those first couple of Medicare clients? Because people are always into food, especially adult people. And how do people get clients? Yeah, it was... Um, So I would say luck had a lot to do with it. I early on did a few marketing visits, you know, just kind of, you know, doing what I thought was the best thing to do, you know, taking the advice of other people in the program that, you know, had done this before me. And for me, you know, I got lucky by actually having some success going to uh, neurologists and physicians offices. So I especially went to two particular, uh, one was a neurologist that specializes in dementia and mild cognitive impairment. Another one was an ear, nose, and throat doctor who some of my clients that I'd seen at some of these other workplaces had seen in the past. And both of them right off the bat were super welcoming and said, we have clients for you. And literally the next day started sending me referrals. So to this day, I get probably 90% of my referrals from those two sources. And I've done very little marketing. Otherwise, I've done um, some Parkinson's boxing class talks to those groups, um, some other talks for like a Parkinson's awareness month at a library, that kind of thing. But definitely the bulk of my clientele has come from those two referral sources early on that are still going strong. So yeah, I got really lucky in that aspect. 
Well, I love that, right? What I talk about in the program too is that you've become the one, right? Like that's that should be the goal for those people who want to get referrals, especially from doctors, from specialists. You know, you want to become the one that people refer to, right? So when they have a client, maybe with Parkinson's, maybe with something else, whatever they know that you do, when that person comes and they're like, oh my gosh, you have to go see Yasmin. Like that's the person that you need to see, right? Like you've effectively become the one for those two practices and how awesome for you, right? And and for the clients. Yeah, exactly. So even more so recently, you know, I've had clients who have been referred to me from these two sources and they right off the bat say, listen, I know that you probably have a wait list, which I do, but I'm going to wait. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want you. This doctor speaks so highly of you. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to wait. I don't want to go to another clinic or another hospital with an outpatient center. I want who the doctor recommended. So it's been really neat to hear that. It's definitely a confidence boost. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's what everyone should be striving for, right, is to get referrals from people who, who know you, who trust you, and whose patients have had good experiences with you, right? Clinicians and therapy isn't that different in a weird way than like restaurants, right? Like if you have a good experience at a restaurant, you know, you tell people about it and then they go there and it's like the cyclical event, right? With clinicians and private practices, right? So, so I love that. Okay. So that's where you've gotten a bunch of your referrals, like then and now, and probably in the future too, right? Um, tell right. everyone else a little bit more about your transition into private practice and what your private practice has looked like. Yeah. So um, I have a home office, but I'm fully mobile and do virtual. I wish I could say that rent prices in Austin were on the lower side, but they're not. But I've actually heard from many clients who I've floated the idea of getting a brick and mortar going at some point that have said, don't do it. The people that you are serving need you to come to them because they may not be easily able to get to you if you go somewhere else. So I think for now, you know, that will continue to be my model. And, you know, I've, I've been able to kind of narrow down my driving range and that's worked really well. Um, otherwise offering virtually, which people have been more than happy to do, which is great. And yeah. So it sounds like you started your practice and it started off a little slower than maybe you were hoping. Is that true? Yes, definitely so. I would say it was more like running a marathon or training for a marathon, I should say. So, you know, slowly building up your mileage, being able to do another mile or take another patient, you know, week by week, you know, and building that up over a length of a few months for me was definitely what I experienced. And so it was more like that process. Um, it wasn't overnight. You know, it took some time and I was able to maintain my full time job, eventually cut down to part time, you know, let the PRN side gig go and finally completely step away from that full-time job where I thought I would be for the rest of my career and decided to, you know, fully focus once I was very well established and uh, able to take those steps, knowing that I would be comfortable and safe financially and that it was time. So, and it was time, right? And I think that a lot of people do that like stepwise kind of thing, right? Because we, we tend to be, you know, as a profession, like, you know, risk averse type of people, right? We want to make sure that things are going to be safe and everything else, right? And so I love how you kind of stepwise, like, you know, cut down your hours, like, or cut down your days, like, let the PRN job go, right? We are in demand, folks. Like, you can always go back and get a job somewhere else, right? If for whatever reason, the private practice doesn't work out, 
like you can go get another job someplace else, right? But for the most part, like we are we are also in demand when it comes to private practices, right? Like you have these people who are waiting on your wait list to be able to see you, right? And so I love that that you did it that way. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about before we started recording, I had remembered a fun fact about you in terms of um, how you spent some of the money that you've earned from your private practice. Can you share with our listeners how you used some of your private practice money for a pretty cool thing that you did for yourself? Yeah. So for me, you know, I had considered doing LASIK eye surgery for several years in the past, but it always seemed like an expense that I wasn't quite ready to make. And eventually, you know, once things got up and running, I decided that that would be the first thing that I would do for myself, you know, not have to wear contacts or glasses, you know, ever again, maybe until I'm, you know, a little older and I need some reading glasses. And it was really cool. And it was wonderful to be able to do that with my earnings from the private practice and the success. So. I love that. I think we should all earmark, you know, little things like that to do for ourselves, right? Like, I I know that you mentioned that you you have a son, like I have kids, like I will spend all of my money on my children, right? I think most parents are are the same way, right? But sometimes we like should, you know, indulge in ourselves a little bit, right? And and getting something like an elective eye surgery that can actually like improve your life, right? Like, I think that that is the kind of thing that we should be spending our money on, right? We're working hard for it. We're earning it. Like we should be able to enjoy the fruits of our labor too. Exactly. I totally agree. What would you say that your goals are for the next like six months to a year for you and in your private practice and just your life in general? Well, um, definitely hiring needs to be on my short list and I'm going through the process of doing that. I think starting off with an independent contractor at first to be able to expand geographically a little bit to some of the outlying areas outside of Austin, where I frequently get a lot of referrals. You know, I was thinking about doing that earlier in the year, and then we had a really busy summer, kind of a short side story. My husband is a school nurse at a private boarding school in Austin, and we recently moved onto his campus and packed up our house, rented our house out, and moved to his campus. And so there was just a lot going on this summer, but now it's definitely time to take the hiring thing more seriously now that, we, um, now that we're here and, and we're moved. So uh, yeah, that's definitely on the short list. I would like to you know, be able to continue to slowly add to the team. I think uh, possibly something like a virtual assistant would be something that would be very helpful because some of those small, tedious, time-consuming tasks really add up at the end of the week. And um, right now I'm just a one woman team. So, yeah, I think um, bringing some other people on is is definitely something that will happen in a short amount of time. So I have a three to six week wait list for clients. You know, people are not willing to go anywhere else at this point, even when I tell them, you know, if you need someone sooner, you know, here are some other places. And yeah, they're staying put. So um, I definitely need to be able to disperse some of that to someone else. Totally. You got to start taking off some of those hats, right? Like in the beginning, it's totally normal for people to wear all the hats. But at some point, doing that creates a bottleneck situation, right? You're not able to serve as many clients that you would want to serve in or that need to be served, right? And then on the flip side, in terms of running the day-to-day operations of your practice, that is definitely something that you can pass off to a virtual assistant, an in-person assistant, just someone else, right? So a lot of those things have to be done, but you don't have to be the one to do that, right? So I think those are fantastic next steps for you for the next couple of months. Yeah, exactly. I've had a couple of ideas of trying to expand the virtual side of my business too. As long as Medicare continues to expand what the public health emergency is, you know, they're doing about three months at a time and allowing us to still bill for telehealth. And it's been so 
amazing to be able to serve some clients. I've served some clients in rural Texas who have no speech therapist for two hours from any direction of where they live. And it's been really neat to be able to provide services to people that live in those outlying areas completely virtually. And um, that's really needed. So I'm hoping to maybe market some more and do some more virtual stuff there as well. So yeah. Yes, I hope that they continue that too. I mean, the thing that's so interesting to, this is just my personal opinion to everybody, but like telepractice really is the way of the future, right? Like it makes things more convenient for people. It, you know, is a time saver. The quality of care is in most cases just as good, right? So it's like, let's not like squash that, right? Like, so it drives me crazy when everyone, you know, gets talking about whether or not these things are going to get cut. Because like, could they get cut? I mean, they could, right? Insurance companies, Medicare, you know, they're making their own decisions. But I certainly believe that they shouldn't because this really is, you know, a uh, a medical uh, technology that has worked really well. We've proven that it works really well. And again, this is my personal opinion, but I think that it should continue for the exact reasons you just said, right? To be able to provide care to people who are in, you know, rural areas of the state or who can't leave their house or like, whatever other reason, you know? Exactly. And to not have to completely halt what your typical schedule would look like. So for example, my son is homesick this week. I have been able to switch 90% of my schedule to telehealth and everybody's been more than willing to do that. And it's just been pretty seamless and it's great to have that option. So I can't imagine a world of not having that option. I hope it is going to stick around. Same. Okay. Before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice that you would give to people who have maybe been thinking about starting a private practice for a while, but just haven't, you know, they keep putting it off or keep coming up with reasons why I'm not right, not right now? Well, you know, everybody's journey is a very individual one. But if you're someone like me who loves this profession, always has, but someday find yourself working for a company that's slowly eating away at the reasons that you love this profession. You know, you have to read the signs. You have to change your direction. You have to consider going to work for yourself if you want out, if you want to do that. And either part-time or full-time, you know, it doesn't have to be an all-in, you know, and that might work for some people. Just to be able to maintain and or regain that spark that's so special about why you went into the profession in the first place. And that was definitely the case for me. So I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your inspiration and just keep growing, right? There are clearly people in your area who need you, right? These uh, neurologists have more people to refer, right? So I definitely think that you are in demand and that growth should definitely be your next step. But again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being part of the START program and, um, and just sharing your journey with our listeners. Thanks so much. This was enjoyable. Thank you. Don't you just love Yasmin? I love how she was such a go-getter, working several jobs, and now she has one job, her own private practice. She is a perfect example of someone who has a lot to offer, and physicians in her area are taking note and referring to her. She's working with her ideal client population on her own terms and filling a need in her community. And guess what? You can do that too. If you want to help people in the ways that you see fit and you can't do that in your current position, it's time to think about starting a private practice, either full-time or on the side of your job. And just like I helped Yasmin get started, I would love to help you get started too. If you would like to learn more about our programs and how we support SLPs and OTs who want our help to start and grow their private practices, please visit independentclinician.com.
As always, thank you for listening and please tune in next week for another episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. See you then. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.